Good morning. Nice to be here today. I'm happy to be here. Always enjoy being with you here, and I hope you enjoy the study today. I hope that our being together is a blessing and a benefit. I've been blessed to be supported by this congregation financially for 25 years this year. And I want to say thank you. And this congregation has supported me on a monthly basis and never been late, not one time. And other times give me extra support when I had special needs. This congregation has always been there and always been a blessing to me. And I just want to thank you. Now, usually there's two subjects that preachers give disclaimers on when they preach on, and one is money, and oddly enough, the second one was women. But I want to talk to you about finances today, and I specifically want to talk to you about the financial function of the church. And you may think that an odd title or an odd subject, but it's become something I think is really important I know that this congregation is a really big supporter of evangelism and evangelist, and I know that's appreciated by evangelist. But I'm not starting my sermon today with a disclaimer. And I'm going to tell you, I think we got a problem within the church because we don't talk about it very much. And I believe that we tend to have problems with things that we don't talk about, things that we don't study, very much, I think we tend to struggle with some of those things. And money may be a challenging subject. And as I began to think about this topic, I thought, well, where would a person begin? Where could a person begin to think about money in the church? And so when I talk about money today, I'm talking about what you think of as money. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about a brotherhood as a whole. I'm talking about individuals who make up the church because churches are made out of people. And that's specifically what I want to talk about today. And I hope that you'll study on it with me and think about it with me today. In the book of Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church, on the day of the Pentecost, we have a very unique situation because on this day, the church is established. And if you're familiar, which I know you are, there are 3,000 people who become Christians on this day. And the church just exploded. And if you read Acts chapter 2, the disciples were there, which I assume, if it's correct, about 120 disciples. And that would include the apostles that were there. And so these people go from 100 to 3,000. And I want you to just think for a moment about Jerusalem. I want you to think about the day of Pentecost, a very special day. And I've done a little bit of research this and this, and I don't know if I'm exactly right. I've read several things. One thing that I read was that a million Jews came to Jerusalem. A million. Because this was a big day and a big feast. And so if you think about that, if you think about how many people were flooding into the city, they were needing food, they needed lodging, probably a few of them needed medical care and all those kinds of things, and whoever was running a hotel or an inn is going to make a lot of money. And all the people who run restaurants and the taco trucks and all that were going to make a lot of money that weekend, right? And all these people traveled there not to become Christians, they came for a Jewish festival and a Jewish celebration. 
But what they heard was the gospel. What they heard was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and their hearts were moved. And their hearts were touched. And they changed their lives. They became Christians that day. And 3,000 people are different. 3,000 people are now babes in Christ. And 3,000 people have a role of life and a manner of life that has changed. And there are 3,000 people who need to be taught. And they need to learn. And we've got 120 with which to teach them. And I want to ask you a question. What did they need more than anything? And I think the answer is they needed time to learn. Those 3,000 people had to learn and they needed to learn quick. And so the financial function comes into play because 3,000 people become Christians on this day. And this 3,000 people don't just turn around and go home. They end up staying. And if we look at Acts and the history of Acts, especially through chapter 8, these 3,000 people stayed in Jerusalem. And they begin to study. And they begin to learn. And there were several needs that arose. And one of the immediate and great needs was money. Because these people didn't come to town with a big fat wallet full of money. I mean, they probably had some money. I tell you what, every once in a while, me and my wife, we go to town and we get a hotel and we eat out and we take a little money. And my wife usually says to me, how much money do we have? And I go, we're not going shopping. We ain't got no money. <laughs> but you know, it's going to cost a little bit to come to town. But these people were expecting to go to town, then turn around and go home. But they didn't go home. They stayed. And they got hungry and they needed to eat. And guess what? We need to feed 3,000 people. And what is it going to cost to feed 3,000 people? Well, if it costs $10 a meal like today, then we need $30,000, don't we, to feed them breakfast. And we need a $30,000 to feed them lunch. And we need $30,000 to feed them supper. And if we don't do this, these people are going to go back home and they're not going to learn. And money is directly tied to these people learning and learning the truth. And I don't know if I understand everything about it. I'm not here to tell you I have every answer. But from looking at the Bible, I think a lot of these people stayed in Jerusalem all the way till Acts chapter 8. Some of them probably got jobs there. Some of them probably started contributing there. So I want to read a little bit more of this chapter with you verse 42 they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers what are they doing they're learning it's exactly what they needed to do because they were babes in Christ fear came upon every soul many wonders and signs were done by the apostles all that believed were together and had all things common and immediately they begin to share you're hungry we got food these new Christians, you need a pair of socks, I got a pair of socks. Your donkey throw a shoe, 
I got a donkey shoe. I guess they shoe donkeys. I've never had a donkey. But you understand, they had all things common because they were new creatures and they were Christians. And it's starting out, and that's the way it's going. Verse 45, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. Brand new Christians sold their silverware to buy food, sold their extra clothes, sold their mule. So people could eat. So people could learn. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness, with singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the church begins and immediately money comes to play. And not a little bit of money, folks. A pile of money. They needed lots of money to help these people to learn. And those people began to give. No doubt the disciples give, but those babes in Christ, they took and sold their possessions and began to give. Now if you go to chapter 3, we got a preacher saying, Silver and gold have I none. And that's what a lot of preachers say. I'm one of those preachers and I say it sometimes. I don't have any money. But Peter said, Such as I have, give I thee. And he's preaching the gospel and the work of the church began and they begin to go out and teach and preach and those 3,000, many of them become teachers and preachers because that's the mission of the church to teach and preach the gospel and to share the message of Christ. And so as the church is in its infancy, they're going and they're preaching and more people are coming in and it's growing and guess what? We need more money. We got to keep feeding these people. Now I want you to notice in particular chapter 4 of Acts, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. They shared With great power gave the apostles witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace, grace, great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, they, they were needing money. I mean, the, the, the jewelry's been sold. The silverware's been sold. Our spare wagon and our spare cart's been sold. Now we've got to sell the land. We're going to have to sell our vacation home in Aspen. They sold it. And here's the money. Use the money. And they go to the apostles. Here's, let it, use it. This is for the church. Because we want the church to grow and we want the church to prosper. So here, take the money and use the money. And so they did. And I've heard a few people over the years say, well, we need to do the same thing and the church needs to have one big bank account. We'll just all put it in there together. 
I don't, I don't think that's the intention. I don't think that's the meaning. I want to show you why. In chapter 5, and I'm sure you're familiar with Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible says they sold a possession. Why? That's what people are doing. They're, we need money. They kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part, laid it at the apostles' feet. Is that wrong? No. It's not wrong to, not wrong to bring money. It's not wrong to take some of the money and put it in your pocket and put some of the money at the apostles' feet. It's not wrong. It's wrong to lie about it. It's wrong to deceive. And that was their problem. They lied. They deceived. But I want you to notice carefully the words. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie the Holy Ghost, to keep back part of the price of the land? Now notice carefully. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? He says, Ananias, it's your land. It's your possession. He didn't say it belonged to the church. He, he didn't say, we have all things common, Ananias. You know. He said, it was your land, Ananias. And before you sold it, it was your land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? He says, it was your money. Before you sold the land, it was your land. And after you sold the land, it was your money. And so this tells me that Ananias could have done what he wanted. He could have said, here's a hundred bucks, use it. He could have said, here's half the money for the land. And by the way, I'm keeping the other half of the money. It had been fine. So I just want you to understand how it's working here. He says, Why has God conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. And so the church begins to function, and people are not required to sell. People, people had limits to what they could do, and that's true today. You have limits to what you can do financially. The wealthiest family here has limits. And the poorest family here has limits. And they weren't required to have everything in one bank account. But there's a daily ministration going on. There's distribution being made. And why is that being done? Why are thousands and thousands of dollars being spent so people can learn because the mission of the church is to spread the gospel so that people can be saved. And so that's what's going on here. So I want to move along now. In Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. They're still feeding people. In Acts chapter 6, there's still money being set aside to feed those who were needed. Some of them were widows at this time. And I will tell you, if my grandma didn't get something to eat, I'd be angry and I'd go say, hey. And that's the situation here by Acts chapter 6. But if you carry on now to Acts chapter 8, there's a great persecution against the church. And you remember, we've got Saul. we got Stephen stoned in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 8, Saul... It's havoc against the church, and the disciples are scattered. And if you remember carefully, they went everywhere preaching the Word, everywhere teaching the Word. And so I believe by Acts chapter 8, 
These folks probably went home. Most of them probably headed home. Most of these folks who came for the day of Pentecost, they go home now, Christians. And I think churches started up all over. Probably all over Israel and other countries where they came from. And no doubt there maybe was a few of those people who stayed in Jerusalem. But by Acts chapter 8, they went on their way. And we find by Acts chapter 8 and afterward, the church falling into a more normal situation. More of a normal situation. Because these people have gone home. They're able to make their own living. They're able to provide their own food. They've learned enough to go out and establish congregations and for the church to start functioning in a way that's very similar to what happens with you and me today and what happens in the brotherhood today. So I want to notice just a few passages in Scripture of financial things that happen and how some of those things function. In Acts chapter 11, beginning here in verse 39, he says, The disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Well, this is a financial function. There were churches out there and they got word there's going to be a famine, there's going to be a dearth, there's going to be people going hungry, and they said, let's gather up some money and let's send it to help our brothers and sisters. That's exactly what they did. And that happens here very often. Very often we get news of a congregation or a brother and sister or, or whatever who needs financial help, and we take some of this money, and we may send it in the mail. We may take some of this money and physically hand it to an evangelist and say, take this money and give it to the elders at the church at Bridgeport, or the church at Gunner, or some other church. And so these congregations are doing exactly what we do. They took money because they cared about their brethren in other places, and they sent that money. And we might call that benevolent work. We might call that love or whatever we'd call that. But that's what they did. Now I want you to notice Acts chapter 15. Beginning of verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Now, the question is... Do, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? And it's a real challenging question. And it's interesting to me that the, the way we're going to try to figure this out is let's go talk to the elders. Let's go talk to the apostles. But I want to tell you something that's true. It takes money to travel. It costs money. It, it takes money to buy a car, a pickup, a moped, or roller skates. It costs money to put gas in the tank. And I don't know if you've noticed, it costs more money here just lately. Now, a person can ride a horse and travel. It's cheaper. But it still costs money. And so I want you to notice, they're going to go and make a journey to discuss church matters. They're going to go have a discussion to try to resolve a problem and I want to tell you today, it costs money to resolve a problem. It costs money to travel. Verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church. How'd they travel? The church did it. I want to tell you, the church paid their way. 
The church covered their expenses. Probably they went from one church to another church to another church. And it would be just like me leaving Wheeler, Texas and Wheeler gives me some money or they give me a car or they pay my way on a train. I go to Pampa and I meet with the church and they go, come here, you got a place to stay. Do you need something to eat? They feed me. They take care of me and the next day they put me on a train or I may start out hitchhiking. Here's you some food money. And the church brings me to Amarillo. And I stay there. I stayed in someone's home. I ate their food. Maybe it was an elder. Maybe it was a deacon. Maybe it was somebody else. They took care of me. What do you need? I got a hole in my shirt. I need it sold or mended. They said, we'll buy you a new shirt. And they pay for that. And the church at Amarillo sends us on to Plainview. And Plainview sends us to Lubbock. And that's how this worked. The church took care of these preachers these apostles, these evangelists, these church workers, and they paid for their way. And it cost money to travel. Now I got to doing a little bit of research on this, and I found a website, and it's pretty interesting. If you'd like to go look at it sometime, I've got it here, and, and you could certainly get it after services. Uh, but there was a university who did a bunch of research trying to figure out what it cost Paul to travel on his missionary journeys. And I found it fascinating. He traveled 10,282 miles, both by ship and land. He traveled 10,000 miles in 281 days, which is pretty interesting. I'm on the road typically 100 to 120, some years 130 days a year, I'm on the road, and I travel about 30 to 33,000 miles, typically, is what I travel. But Paul was moving along. The, the expense, this survey, this, this study found was 1,731 denarii. And I thought, well, I'll figure out exactly what that is in today's money. You can't do it, it's impossible. But I did find that a denarii is typically a day's wages. Well, I don't know what you make a day. I kind of know what I make a day. Let's just say he made $100 a day. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Thousands of dollars. That they estimate it would have cost him to travel. And so it was very expensive in that day. And it just cost money. It cost money to have this church service. It just cost money for the lights to be on. And we could have church in a brush arbor. It cost less money. We can do that. But if you want to be a little more comfortable, then it's going to cost some money. It cost money to have a church built in Nigeria. We just put a roof on a building, $30,000 just cost money it cost money to have insurance it cost money to have projectors we bought two projectors in Wheeler, Texas 6,000 bucks I thought it's madness makes me wonder if we need to get a flashlight and you know shadow but man it's a lot of money I'm getting old I think I'm getting older because man it just costs money our, our building costs $1.2 I'm sure this one costs more. I heard Gunner's looking at $2 million for a building. It just costs money. 
It costs money to preach the gospel. It costs money to answer questions. All those things are true. So I want you to think with me just for a minute about the function of the church. There's responsibilities of the church and they're financial. And that means there's responsibilities on you. There's responsibilities financially on the old and on the young. And it takes money to do these things. Elders. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labored in the word and the doctrine. I've been scared of this my whole life. Kind of scared of it. And I begin to study it. And I begin to think about it. Double honor. And if, if you look in the definitions, the price paid is the one that sticks out to me. Double pay. And I've talked to several people about this over the years. I've talked to a bunch of people and I've had them all say, we need to highly respect these elders. And I believe it's true. We should highly respect elders. I'll tell you, there's a trump card on this verse, and it's the next verse. And that is, don't muzzle the ox. I want to tell you, folks, that's, that's talking about pay. And this congregation's been blessed to have a full-time elder. And there are other elders within the brotherhood that maybe they're full-time or maybe they're part-time. But one of the responsibilities of the church is to support men who serve the church, who work in the church, who preach in the church. I'm not here to tell you today that you need to fully support all eight of your elders. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But I am here to tell you today that there's a great deal of expense that goes with being an elder. There's a lot of hospitality. There's a lot of cost of food. There's a a whole lot of fuel. There's a whole lot of gasoline and tires. And we could add up a tremendous amount of money that in most congregations of our churches, those elders donate that. And they support themselves to do that. But clearly in Scripture, elders can be financially compensated for their work. Evangelists. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, Let him who is taught in the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. In 1 Corinthians 9, 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And if an evangelist is going to dedicate his life to working for the church, then he deserves a fair compensation, a fair wage. That's just fair. I expect every person here who has a job expects a fair wage for their work. And if your employer came to you and said, we're going to cut your wages in half, but we need you to keep working, what are you going to say? Hmm, I think I'll look around. And it is fair to be compensated for work that we do. There's things that need to be done like advertising, gospel meetings. All these things cost money. 
And Luke 8, verse 1, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. These are women who supported Jesus and the apostles to travel and preach. And we don't know a whole lot more about these people. But we do know that they have this record, that they financially supported the preaching of the gospel. And in this case, it was Jesus. It just costs money to have a gospel meeting. <clears throat> Finally, there's building costs. Sound system, power system, computer, heating, cooling, insurance, all these things. In Luke 14, verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? It just takes money to do it. And it's a shame how much money it takes. It's just the world that we live in. Every congregation is spending money on buildings, on those costs. It takes money to do benevolent works. Romans 15, verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. We, we are happy to send that money. We are happy to help people that we hear are in need. I got a phone call from the brethren at in a congregation in Arkansas that are very beloved, a congregation very well known. They said, we're trying to get a, a different building, and we don't have the money to do it. And I said, how much money do you need? And they said, we need $20,000. I thought, well, shoot. I thought you were going to say half a million dollars. They said, we, we need help. We want to send out a letter. We want to try. I said, I don't think you need a letter. I said, your reputation is fantastic. You are beloved. You are known for good works and church support and financial support. And I said, just let me make a few phone calls. And I picked up the phone and I called a congregation. Hey, what's going on? I said, I'm calling on behalf of this church. He said, I know them guys. I love them guys. I said, I need $20,000. I said, I need you to write a check for $20,000. He said, ooh, oh no. I said, he said, tell you what, we'll send $2,000. I said, that'd be great. Don't send it to me. Send it to them. I called the next church. Hey, what's going on? What's happening? I want to tell you about this. I said, I need $20,000. They said, my goodness. What can you do? He said, we'll send $5,000. Man, I love you. You're good people. Thank you. I called the next one. Guess what I need? $20,000. Woo! They said, we'll send $500. I said, that's wonderful. I made 10 phone calls. 10. Is that 10? 10. <laughs> it took a week. Our brethren were happy to support that. Happy. Because we love those people and we believe in what they're doing. And those folks have got a new building. And I was told just the other day, they like seven or eight months of payment paid off. They're doing good and they're growing. There's things like that that need done. There are people who are suffering and they're hungry. And there's opportunities to help those people. And we're happy to do that. In the book of John, 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? 
my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's do something about it. We're happy to do that. And this congregation has been very proactive in that. Widows. 1 Timothy 5, beginning of verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old. Taken into the number. What does that mean? By the care of the church. The church can care for widows. Totally. Every need. That's what he's describing. And there's few qualifications. Seventy years old. Threescore years old. Having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's received the afflicted, relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. What, what widow can the church care for financially? One who's worked hard for the church and served the church. At age 60, we can take her in and care for her. He says the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. We have a responsibility. This is a financial function of how the church should work. Orphans. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and widows and their afflicts. The word visit means to relieve. He's talking about financially caring for widows and orphans. That's a function and responsibility of the church. Sparingly versus bountifully. I think we probably understand the concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. My daughter Alexis... Uh, the first year of COVID, I don't know what year of COVID is this, 18, 19, I can't remember. Uh, the first year of COVID, she said, I want to plant a garden. I said, I think that's great. What do you need me to do? She said, I need a spot plowed up. I need a spot tilled up. I tilled her up a spot. So what are you going to plant? She said, I'm going to plant okra, and I'm going to plant squash. And I said, okay. She said, how much do I need to plant? I said, not much. <laughs> not much. And she planted 10 hills of squash. Man, I tell you, we had squash. <laughs> I think we understand the concept. Sparingly. What you do here, when we pass these baskets or trays, whatever y'all use, I don't know, paper sack, doesn't matter. Maybe the box is at the back. What you do Every Sunday is either bountiful or sparing. And it matters. It matters. And the scripture is pretty plain about this. There should be an attitude within the hearts of every Christian to be generous. That should be our attitude. I want you to think about those babes in Christ in Acts chapter 2. What was their attitude? We're going to do this. I got to sell the farm. We're doing it. In Proverbs 22, verse 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. That's just the proper attitude, is it not? 
In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? He said, I can't rob God. He says, yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. I want to tell you, God notices. I have no idea what you put in the plate. The only guy I ever knew who, what he put in the plate was Vernon Hall. His old man at Allison, he sat on the back row. Some of you may remember him, I don't know. I just remember when I was old enough to help with communion, I'd go back and people were putting money in the plate, and I put, and Vernon took money out. And I went, what? And he put other money in. He made change some way. I don't know what he... I think Vernon was a good man. Don't take that wrong. We can rob God. Giving money is something that God notices. Acts 9 verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She gave money. And it was noticed. Cornelius in Acts 10. Thy prayer and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. He, he was a giver of money. He was a prayerful person. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 21, rather, beginning in verse 1. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. He said, of a truth, I say to you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. When I first started preaching in 1997, letters were sent out asking for support and I started getting letters. Churches say, we're going to support your work. Some of them said, we'll support you for one year. Some of them said, we'll support you this much. Some of those folks still support me. Y'all are one of those. I got a letter from a widow. It had a check for $25. And I called her, and I said, don't do this. Please. Please. She said, no. I want you to have that money. She said, it ain't about you. <laughs> she said, I have a responsibility. And I have the money. I, I don't know how you say no to that. And she supported me $25 a month till she died. That means something to God. That means something to me. In 1 Corinthians 16, this is probably the most well-known passage about giving. He says concerning the collection for the saints. They were, they were collecting money for the saints, for people. 
As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And you probably hear this talked on. You, you probably hear about this passage quoted from this spot on a fairly regular basis. I was in Nigeria last year. Went to a church service. Heard a lot of good singing. A really good sermon. Had a very enjoyable time. We broke bread together. A fellow got up different than all the other activities, a different guy, he got up and he talked 15 minutes and 29 seconds on contribution. Because I videoed it. <laughs> and he gave a fantastic talk about that. And those are poor people, you know. And they get up one by one and they walk up to the front of the building and they, they drop their money in the box that's right there. It's important. It's part of the commandments. It's part of responsibility. We need to give thought to those things because it matters. In the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 33, the apostle said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye know, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The Lord notices. He notices that we give. It's to your account. It's stars in your crown. That little widow lady is doing church work, supporting me and no telling how many others. In Proverbs 21 and verse 5, he says, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. You know what the nature of Christianity is? To be generous. And I'll tell you something I know from experience. From 25 years of being blessed to travel amongst Christian people, we have the most generous people. Our brotherhood. Generous people. Who give and give. And you know why they do it? Because they love the Lord. They love the gospel. They want the gospel to be preached and promoted. And I will tell you, I have nothing but respect great respect for this congregation and for the people of it I hope and pray you don't feel like I've come here to give you a whooping today over this I do not have any right to whoop nobody but I want you to understand why this is important why it's important for you to give and so the study this evening is it 6 o'clock Ben? 6 o'clock it's going to be on Financially supporting those who preach the gospel. And I'm going to ask you to come back. I don't, I don't know if you typically come back. I really want you to come back. Because I'm going to talk about evangelists specifically. And some information that I have about where they're at financially. And I think it's really important.
So I want to encourage you to come back. Now I want to offer the invitation. You, you're here today and you've been preaching about money. If you're covetous, you need to come forward today. If you have a greed problem, you need to change. That ain't really the idea of the sermon. If you've got a sin problem of any kind, you need to change. If you've got a heart problem, if you don't love the Lord, or if you hate your brother, or if you have sexual immorality, we go on and on. You need to change that today. And we have an invitation song to give you that opportunity because we want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. So maybe you're challenged in life and has nothing to do with finances. That's fine. If we can help you today, we want to do that. If we can make a difference in your life in some way, I don't necessarily have the answers, but Jesus does. So if we can help you today, we're going to sing this song, Come to the Front and Change Your Life as we sing.